0: Aloha, you are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. Today's guest is Raphael Barlow from DraftJunkies.com and the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast back with us for a second time on the show everybody really liked the show that you were on last time backed by popular demand so welcome back to the show
1: thanks for having me on it's always uh, it's always an honor to uh, to be on the show especially with someone like yourself you know you're kind of like the, the pioneer in the sense of this the, the, the big board space so uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Well, really excited to have you back on.
0: Love the work that you do at DraftJunkies.com. Lots of videos, lots of in-depth breakdowns. Also, just a lot of great stuff on the international prospects as well, which is often harder to find that reliable uh, information on it. So if you haven't been over uh, to his website at DraftJunkies.com, make sure you go over and visit, as well as checking out the Locked On, the NBA Draft podcast. You're hosting which days? I am Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays uh, on the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast daily, uh, NBA Draft Podcast for those of you that just don't get enough once a week uh, here from our podcast. Well, I'm about ready to release uh, my Big Board 5.0 picks 31 through 80 uh, on Thursday. Uh, That's when this is uh, coming out, and you can check that out over on my website nbabigboard.com. And I thought it was time to to bring Raphael on to talk about draft sleepers, guys that he or I think are underrated, maybe sometimes criminally underrated uh, in this draft and that we personally would have higher on our boards than maybe the consensus is um, right now in the NBA. And I want to start the conversation actually with three players that, at least on my early big board, the initial big board before the college season started, were considered lottery picks. Uh, Brandon Boston out of Kentucky, uh, Zaire Williams out of Stanford. Um, and Josh uh, Christopher out of out of Arizona State. Uh, all of those guys, I thought would be lottery picks. I thought Boston and Williams were likely top ten picks uh, in this draft. All of them had struggles this season. Uh, their teams struggled. Uh, injury struggles for for Williams. Uh, for Christopher, uh, bad shooting, bad shooting percentages, tough stats. You told me you're putting together film on Zaire Williams right now, and it's tough to find great clips yeah. to, to put together. I don't think there's any question that if you just look at their seasons in a vacuum, they were disappointing. Maybe that's just the be- the, the nicest word to say. Disappointing. They weren't what we expected. And so, you know, my question to you to start off this podcast is are we criminally underrating them right now? I've got Zaire Williams about 19 on my big board. Uh, Boston is in the late 30s. Josh Christopher in the early 30s on my board. All guys that were highly touted in high school, all considered potential lottery picks, now going anywhere from the mid to late first round to early second round. Are, Are
1: any of those guys too low in your mind? You know, this is a tough question because when you say, are we criminally underrating them? And I I say no, because we're going by what we saw in college. And sometimes I struggle with what has more value, what they did in high school or what they did in college. And I lean towards college because one is it's the more recent and the competition is better. I think as far as Williams and Boston, I think they struggled with the physicality of the college game. I mean, both are really light. And uh, both came into this season with the reputation of, being, reputation of being high-level shot creators. And I think they both struggled in that sense. And, you know, it, it's tough. I think with Christopher, I don't think he had a problem scoring the ball. I mean, the situation at Arizona State was not the greatest. I, I won't say that he was, he was in the best situation there. But I think some of his flaws and tunnel vision also kind of got exposed in the college game. Last I looked, I think he had a negative assist to the turnover ratio. He was somewhat of a, a ball stopper. And I think college kind of exposed that because he was so physically dominant in high school that he wasn't able to get away with it as much on the college level. Of those three guys,
0: let's say th- these three guys were on the board and you can select one of them. Which guy which guy's the highest
1: on your board? I would go with Christopher. I think if Christopher could develop more so as a spot-up shooter and better off the ball as far as catch-and-shoot situations, I think that he would be the most ready to come in as far as as a rookie and and be able to contribute. I think the other two guys are probably going to struggle a little bit in their rookie years. and I mean, they're going to have to bulk up and put on weight. And uh, But then again, like with Zaire Williams, and this is an issue that I have a hard time. Like To me, he's the hardest player to gauge because you have to consider that at the beginning of the year, he had the huge knee brace on his knee. And I, I'm not mistaken. They say he was in like a bicycling accident or something like that on campus. And then Stanford was like a team without a home this year. So I wonder how much of that played a role in him not being as effective as everyone would have thought. But based off of what I saw in the college film, I would think Christopher would be the safer pick of the, of the three.
0: Yeah. You know, Williams is especially interesting because uh, you know, he wins a state championship in California, leads all scores. There uh, had two deaths in his family um, in the last year, like you said, was essentially a nomad for around nine weeks uh, at, when Stanford essentially didn't allow them on campus. They lived in a hotel. They didn't have a court. You know, COVID-19 is a college professor that has worked with a lot of young people throughout COVID-19. Uh, the, that the role that this has affected people's mental health. Uh, I mean, I think all of us have you know, stories that we can tell about our lives, but especially for young people, right at that moment of sort of transitioning from home to college, these big dreams, these big plans, having that all sort of thwarted the way that it is, um, not being able to get in the reps and work that you normally would be able to get into the summer um, and on the court with your coaches, uh, you wonder what role all of this plays because all this is unprecedented, right? Last year, last year even, right, COVID came at the very end, and so maybe it affected the post the the pre-draft workout process a, a bit but for most of these players they got through the the vast majority of their college basketball season right it was really around the tournament time that covid shut down but for this young group it was their summers that were shut down there were so many things that were shut down i don't i don't have the answer but it makes me wonder a little bit whether we might be being too hard on some young people that were going through some really, really difficult stuff and basketball wasn't always at the forefront of their minds.
1: Yeah. And that's actually a concern I have about BJ Boston. I mean, he had the the same situation in a sense. I mean, Kentucky wasn't necessarily, you know, a team without a home like Stanford, but you know, the unfortunate death of Terrence Clark. And if I'm not mistaken, he was on the scene. So um, that, Is something that I really would have to consider that even if he has a slow start next year and he's struggling with, you know, just the overall adjustment of being a pro, that's always going to be something that's going to stay with him forever. So that's something that you, you definitely would have to consider as a team and, and really just putting the right support system around him, whether it's the team or the agency, but it's, it's definitely a unique year for pretty much everyone, but you know we forget that there's a lot that goes on with these, I want to call them kids, but their lives outside of basketball that could have an impact and affect how they play, which in turn has an impact on their draft status. Yeah, it's, it's
0: such an interesting conversation. I've been talking to NBA general managers, scouts about this. They don't quite know how to handle this as well. Uh, you know, a big part of the NBA scouting process is getting a lot of intel, going onto campus, talking to coaches, assistant coaches, team managers. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they dig. And, you know, scouts have not really been able to do that this season for a lot of reasons. Uh, and the intel that they're getting is warped by the fact, like we said, that there's these strange situations that teams had. They weren't on campus, like they're all together in a hotel room uh, all the time, family issues that are coming up. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be harder than ever to know, you know, what, how this all played. And, you know, part of it too, is that not all freshmen were affected this way. You know, Cade Cunningham looked, looked fine. Uh, Evan Mobley looked fine. Jalen Suggs, you know, looked, looked fine. Um, but every human being is different and I'm not sure how much to read into this. I I, I'm really curious to me, probably the guy that I, I would, I feel the safest on right now. I I agree with you, Josh. Christopher's the most ready because uh, he's got the he's got the NBA body and athleticism, which obviously the other two don't have. But given the obsession that the NBA has right now with you know wings that can be ball handling wings, secondary ball handlers, uh, guys that can stretch the floor and shoot it, and that size, um, I know that I know that Zaire Williams is working out in in. Uh, Down in Vegas right now, they're telling me that he's measuring just a shade under 610 in shoes uh, right now. And, you know, when you're talking about a, uh, you know, a toolsy wing uh, that, you know, probably can shoot it better than he shot it there. And he's up to a whopping, you want to take a guess? Now, this is always the trainers thing, right? Like they either put on 20 pounds of muscle or, you know, they they lose weight. Like this is the first thing. Uh, Apparently, he's up to, as of yesterday, 193 pounds. He's put, but you know, six six ten, 193 is is still pretty thin. That's like Brandon Ingram thin.
1: Right, but remember last year we heard the same thing about Tyrell Terry. Remember, didn't he gain like 20 pounds of muscle and athleticism, and he his vertical increased like 10 inches or something like that? <laughs> so. um You know, it's always one of those things you got to take with a grain of salt, especially coming from I think the trainers are going to be a little bit biased. But I mean, if if he measures out at 6'10", like 193, I mean, that's that's definitely a positive sign, because one thing that he does have is that you don't see is a lot of guys that move the way he moves at that size. And that has the at least the potential and upside to be that type of shot creator. Um, but as, as you pointed out, all of this
0: is tempered by the fact that those tools didn't translate onto the court as college basketball players um, the way that, that we had hoped and you have to, you have to ultimately look at the tape and, uh, yeah. and, and and you know look at what the advanced stats say and none of them say a lot of positive things about these guys
1: right now it's back to back years. I mean, you can make a case and say Jaden McDaniels was in the same exact situation, projected as a top 10 pick, 6'9, 6'10, moves similar to Kevin Durant. The numbers didn't look as good as you would have expected at Washington. He falls in the draft, but I thought he had a pretty decent rookie year. I think if yep. in, a, in a redraft, he goes higher and he goes maybe around where he was projected to go. Coming into his freshman season, so I feel like there are situations, at least with Zaire and uh, Jaden McDaniels, it feels like there there's a lot of similarities there. Mm. It'll it'll be really interesting
0: draft because, uh, you know, in my mind, there's five. I don't want to say sure things, but but close to it, uh, and then there's probably another like six through twelve tier that I have of guys that I'm pretty confident about, and then. And at least, at least talking to NBA teams and scouts, people are all over the place, uh, yeah. over or over sort of the order next. And so, you know, if you told me Zaire Williams at thirteen or Zaire Williams at twenty-five, I, I could see either of those scenarios, you know, happening um, in the draft. But if you're using Jaden McDaniels as a as a you know as a you know success story, he should probably be on the higher end of that. Uh, but yeah. we could also point to very heralded high school prospects who struggled uh in freshman. People drafted them high anyway, uh, and they didn't do anything in the NBA. So it goes both ways. All right. Those three guys highly touted, but we're talking about draft sleepers here. Uh And so – just looking at the list, who's the guy at the top of your list that you're like, man, I just don't understand why this guy isn't ranked, ranked higher. Somebody who you absolutely feel like they should be a first round prospect that maybe isn't getting that love right now.
1: I mean, as far as absolutely feels like a first round prospect, I guess once you throw the word absolutely in there, that kind of makes it a little different. But the guy that I've been high on from, I'd say back in maybe October, November, is Vrens Blindberg out of Belgium. He's 6'10", has ball handling ability, is a decent playmaker, shot 37% from three in the Euro Cup. And he reminds me somewhat of Chandler Parsons. And Chandler was a steal. You know, I think he was a second round pick and it was on his way to, you know, having a really, really good career before injuries kind of derailed him. But that's what I kind of see with with Blindberg. He averaged nearly four assists in the Belgium league. And it's not often that you're going to find a guy that's 6'10 that can shoot the ball, but also average four assists in in any level in any league. And that's what Blindberg did this year. So it was a breakout year for him. He's my he's my biggest sleeper. Why why do you think that
0: because there's always an obsession with international big guys that can shoot the basketball and can be secondary ball handlers at his size. I mean, just just the scouting report that you gave on him, that sounds like a guy that typically would have a profile as a, as a late lottery to mid-first round pick in the NBA draft. Most of the teams that I've talked to are seeing him more as a second round prospect. So what, what do you think it is that's holding them up right now? Is it just that he's playing in the Belgium league and, and, you know, the level of competition isn't as high. Is there a serious question about his athleticism or how something's going to translate the NBA? What do you think is the holdup here or the concern?
1: I think if he played for Real Madrid or Barcelona, I think that would put him in a little different situation. I mean, he is in the Belgian league and it's not really considered a strong league. Although they did play in the Euro cup, Uh, At at one point in the season, and it was actually the game against uh, Milos Teodosic and um, Bologna, Bologna, however you pronounce it, that really caught my attention. And I I was impressed by his overall toughness that game. You know, Milos is a legend in Europe. And, you know, Renz is a young kid from Belgium, not a, a country that is known for producing basketball talent. And he held his own. He played well. There were times where he defended Um, Tia Dosik and to me and I I mentioned it before in in the last podcast you know in in Europe there's not really a strong need for development if you're playing especially in like a Euro League or Euro Cup team it's because you're better than the guy in front of you and so for the team to throw him out there on a legend like Tia Dosik and if I'm I think right now that team is up 2-0 or 3-0 for the Italian League Championship. So that Bologna team is, is is a good team, and Milos is a legend. But the competitive fire that I saw out of Renz was impressive to me. And, again, I, I think if he went to Kentucky or Arizona, which are uh, a couple schools that were recruiting him, I think that he is in a different situation. But I think he's been held, you know, because he's from Belgium it may be been held against him. He, there were some times where – um, he wasn't the most efficient. He definitely needs to get stronger. I think he was around 43, 44% overall for the season. So you'd like to see those numbers come up. But I thought the progression that he made as a shooter gives me hope that long term that he's going to be able to develop into a, a pretty good floor spacer. All right.
0: Uh, he is going to come in uh, in the 40s, in my early 40s, in my uh, big board 5.0 Uh, which, frankly, probably based off a lot of stuff out there might even be a little higher than other people have them. But I I, I see the potential there. I think it's really interesting to see what happens, especially as you get later in the first round too and and some of these established teams start thinking long-term about players and where they're going to develop best and what have you, whether he could end up rising. Look, when we come back... We're going to continue to talk about draft sleepers, guys that are currently projected as maybe second round picks that that we like or think that might should be higher. I'm with Raphael Barlow from DraftJunkies.com, uh, also from the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is a brand new segment brought to you by our partners at Michelob Ultra. It was a tough choice for me to pick this week's ultra moment, but it has to be Donovan Mitchell going off for 45 points in the opening game of round two of the playoffs versus the Clippers. Jazz were playing without their point guard, Mike Conley, against the loaded Clipper team. Lots of questions about whether Utah had the star power to beat the Clippers. Mitchell keeps answering. Big, big game for him. Big win for the Utah Jazz. I love him, and I actually think uh, that he reminds me somewhat of a prospect in the NBA draft, draft uh, Davian Mitchell, um, out of Baylor as well. There's some similarities there. Go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with hashtag ultra moment. It's Bickelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the game, it's the whole world. All right, I am back with Raphael Barlow from DraftJunkies.com and the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Ford. You can check out my stuff at www.nbaBigBoard.com. That's my newsletter and website. We're debuting this week. uh, Big Board 5.0 picks 31 through 80, which means we're diving deep into the second round and going deeper. And I'm with Raphael, and we're talking about some of our draft sleepers for the year, I'm going to give you one of mine. Uh, he ends up at 31 on Big Board 5.0. But if it was me personally, the more I watch this young man, the more I think. And I'll watch Trey Young in the playoffs. And I'm going to be honest. I I wasn't. I was on sort of ESPN hiatus for two years, um, where I I didn't get to cover the draft for two years. And uh, the Trey Young's draft was one of it. And I, I'm going to be honest. I was skeptical about Trey Young coming into the NBA. Um, I thought when Dallas did that deal for Luka Doncic, that was the greatest deal of all time. I, I still feel like it probably was the greatest deal of all time because I think Luka Doncic has a chance to win multiple MVPs and what have you. But Trey Young has been great for Atlanta. Uh, and he's, he's been huge in the playoffs here. I worried he was too small. I worried that he didn't have the strength. I didn't worry. I worried that he wasn't going to be able to guard anybody. Uh, I, I thought he was, you know, turnover prone. I thought he was too wild. I I just didn't see it this high um, in the draft for him. And clearly, he's warranted uh, being a top five pick in this draft. And so I hear many of the same things about uh, Max Asemus um, out of Oral Roberts, uh, big time scorer, uh, a guy that can shoot the ball from anywhere on the floor uh, is. Is, is a point guard, but he, he's little. He's not super explosive athletically. You question who he's going to guard um, in the NBA. And I, I wonder in today's NBA if Trey Young can succeed the way that he's succeeding right now. And I'm not saying he's of the caliber of prospect of Trey Young because I don't have him ranked in my top 10 or in my lottery. But is there a role for him in the NBA um, given his ability to score the basketball and especially shoot the basketball. Um, what do you think about Max Asmus?
1: I like him a lot. And I, I live in Dallas. And um, Max is, as of two weeks ago, he was working out here in Dallas with uh, a guy named Tyler Ralph. And I watched maybe four or five of his workouts. And he's small. Like, he he doesn't pass the eye test. I mean, I won't name all the guys that are working out there. But if you didn't know, and you had this pick a guy, you know, picking fives, like five on five, he would be the last guy you would pick just based off of the eye test. He shoots the ball well, changes directions. And I had a chance to talk to him. And what I like about him is that um, he he came out of this class in Dallas in 2019. Where it was R.J. Hampton, Tyrese Maxey. Um, we had Davian Harmon from Oklahoma, and he was ranked as the 71st or best player in Texas not the country but Texas and so he kind of has this chip on his shoulder as this guy that you know not a lot of people know and one of the questions I asked him I said were you underrated or a late bloomer and he said maybe it's a little bit of both but I think that his game fits today's NBA because the fact that he he may like Trey Young he may not be you know, the strongest guy in the world. He may not be the most athletic guy, but the way the defense is, the way the rules are, you can't really beat up on guys. And Trey has found a way to be crafty. If you try to get physical with him, he's going to jump into you and he, you know, he gets rewarded with, with the free throw. So I think Max can have a similar, similar, not the same success, but I think Trey's success has definitely changed the way the thought process is over smaller guards that can fill it up. And, I mean, he, I think he led the nation in scoring. So, and he shot the ball extremely well on a high volume of attempts. So I, I definitely think Trey opened some doors for, for guys like Max. Where, where do you think his draft range should be? I have him um, on my last mock. I have him probably, probably right around where you have him at. I think I have him going to Phoenix, which is, I think, the 29th pick.
0: Uh, nice fit in Phoenix, actually. I, I actually, yeah. actually, actually, actually like that, like that fit for him. Uh, let's talk about Bones Highland, a guy that 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 you really like that is, uh, you know, was a big time shooter, big time scorer as a as a six you know, combo guard. Um, what do you like about his game, and where do you think he should be going?
1: I like him, and you know what? And maybe this is just me, but have you ever had a prospect that? He's fun to watch and sometimes you have to determine like, all right, do I like him so much because I enjoy watching him? He's fun to watch. Or is that like jading my vision as far as his NBA fit? And Bones is one of those guys where he, he's, he has the offensive creativity that I like. He's one of the guys that I feel like his game was not built in a lab with a trainer. It was playing pickup five on five street ball or something because he just has like this the scoring instincts and the moves that an offense creativity that he has to get to his spots is I mean it's it's something that I really put a lot of value on especially if it's a guy that I think has a role coming off the bench as an instant offense type guy so I mean he's a little like 6'3 195 but he's a very creative and shifty ball handler he has a quick first step and He's a little undersized at six three, kind of like an undersized two I mean more so the combo guard, but he's he shot thirty seven percent from three, which is a decent percentage but I think that there could be a role for him as a guy that comes off the bench and just kind of you know puts the ball in the basket. where do you think he ultimately
0: should land in this draft like where where's the appropriate place where you you take the risk versus reward um, with him because I, I see the very similar things. And in, in I, I can tell you a guy that I'm like irrationally excited about in this draft that is similar. Like I love watching Sharif Cooper play. Um, absolutely, to me, the most entertaining player in this draft to watch. I also know that if he hits six feet in shoes, I'm going to be lucky. He can't shoot the basketball and he's a turnover machine. Um, and despite all of that, I still find myself pulling for him and trying to find out ways to make him successful because I want to watch him in the NBA. And there's so so many things that he does that are special, that are instinctual about how he sees the floor as a playmaker, um, how he can get anywhere on the floor. And so I I get those sort of affinities to players that you really like, even though there might be some boxes that they're not quite ticking uh, when it comes to the NBA. So uh, where do you you have him?
1: Well, quickly about Sharif. It's funny because he's a... You can say he's like a turnover machine because he averaged four turnovers a game but when you look at this class of guards he's one of the few that had a two to one assist to turnover ratio yeah you, know, you yeah. look at Cade who was you know he's you know gonna go number one and his was negative and so that's that's the what makes this whole draft process and watching film so you know difficult to gauge. But as far as Highland I see him going in the 40s. I mean, I, I don't know if he'll go higher than 40. Like, I can't really see him in the 30s, but I can see him anywhere into the 40 to 50 range. Okay. Uh, let's talk
0: about a guy that I actually think is is moving his way up. Another freshman uh, that was uh, not nearly as highly heralded, uh, got off to a slow start. I'm talking about Joshua Primo uh, the Alabama wing, uh, who, you know, brings, you know, spot up shooting. He shot 38% from three as a freshman, very smooth stroke, got great size for his position is six eleven wingspan, excellent athlete, quick. Um, you could see the potential there for him to guards one, twos and threes. He was pretty inconsistent as a freshman, um, only ten percent of his shots were mid-range jumpers, so I mean, you know, it was it was all threes or at the rim for him, and you know, he kind of took a back seat to a, a more senior-laden Alabama team, uh, you know, this year that obviously had you know some guys that were ahead of him in the se- seniority line. But you wonder with him, does he project again to this obsession that NBA teams right now have with three and D wings? Is this a guy that we're sleeping on a little bit? And you know, the other thing about Primo. Uh, his birthday is December 24th, 2002, and so he, he makes this draft by seven days. He's going to be, if not the youngest player in the draft, very, very close to the youngest player in the draft. He's He barely makes the cutoff, uh, and and that that's something to look at as well when you think about what he was doing
1: in um, Alabama this year. What do you think about Primo? Yeah, my first time watching him play was at the 2019 2019- Uh, World Cup in Greece and he played for the Canadian team and he kind of came on late like I want to say that as the the back end of the tournament he started getting minutes and he had a breakout game and I remember just kind of googling him and trying to just find out some information and at the time he was like 15 or 16 and so even though that was so he had been 16 so that was two years ago so yeah which makes him 18 and I think that if he were if he were in next year's class, he's a top 10 pick. So he's someone that I, I I think that a team is going to get a really good value pick out of him because he's projected to go second round. You never know with this draft. Somebody may see it and, and select him in the teams. But if he would have been, you know, a year older and went to a different situation, I definitely think that um, his, his stock would be a little bit higher. But I, I definitely see the upside there. You know, it's really interesting when you say that
0: to me. Um what I hear is then he should go somewhere in the teens. If next year he's going to be a top 10 pick, he should probably some be somewhere in the teens to early 20s this year uh because, you know, that that extra development year, even if you feel like you've got to put him in the G League next year, uh to continue the development with the upside that he offers. Uh, if you believe that's what he would have been with another year of college, I I, I think that actually warrants him moving up. I, and, and you're starting to hear that now from teams. I won't be surprised. Right now, I have him in I think it you know 36 or something. Um, I won't be surprised if he ends up on the final big board, you know, somewhere in the 20s, and ends up being drafted somewhere in the late teens 20s. It just seems like that's the trajectory um, for him right now. So let's talk about his teammate that you really like, and I also like uh, Herb Jones um out of alabama who is not one of the youngest players in the draft he's a four-year <laughs> senior um usually you know upside sort of wears off with herb jones but he had a really interesting season and i think he has a really interesting projection uh, at the next level of the nba
1: yeah he's six eight i mean he's 22 so he's you know in, in the world we live in it's still hard to believe that that is old and considered not to have a lot of upside and potential Swiss army knife does a little bit of everything he defends. And in today's NBA, having a a, a multi-positional defender is so valuable. And that's exactly what he does. He can handle the ball a little bit. And I think that he's a a guy that is probably going to fall in the second round, largely due to his age. But I think that if he falls into the right team, like a right playoff team, I think he should be able to come in and contribute. Now, you look at guys like, I don't know, uh, totally different players, but Desmond Bain, he fell in the draft, in my opinion, because of his age, but he was a rotation player for for Memphis, which was a playoff team. And I think Herb Jones could have a similar type impact, not the same role, but I think he can slide into the rotation with with the NBA team. And the the, the question is, is outside shooting? I mean, it it improved – overall this this senior season he doesn't shoot it a lot but that's that's like the swing skill for him if he can knock down open shots then I think there's a a you know a major role for him in the NBA the thing I like about Herb Jones and one of the
0: reasons I think rotation player is right is he's going to be able to get on the floor right away as a defensive player and he's one of these guys that you could see maybe maybe guarding three four positions uh, at, at the next level and and there are a number of teams especially uh, you know playoff teams that are that that sort of guy that guy that can come in and guard you know w- with this increasingly positionless NBA uh, that can guard across the floor like that is is a coveted is a coveted role to play uh, and uh, and I think that's what intrigues me about herb Jones right away whether the offense comes along, I think there's some question marks about what sort of offensive player he's going to be um, in the NBA, especially when you think of just about pure scoring. Uh, I actually think he has some ball handling skills some playmaking skills. I mean, he's a really, really skilled and interesting prospect. Uh, yep. And if he was 18 or 19, you know, we would be talking about him as a potential lottery pick just based off
1: what he did. You know, what may help him out. I think is that the success Bruce Brown is having in Brooklyn. They're, Different players. I mean, Brown is a little thicker, but what position is Brown playing? I mean, they're using him as the, the role man. He said in screens, he's cutting in Detroit, which wasn't as talented. He he didn't really. I mean, he's a guy that I should say that if you put him around a bunch of talented players like that, there are in Brooklyn, his glue guy and, and just the role that he plays is a perfect fit. You put him on a bad team, then his flaws kind of stand out a little bit more. And just watching how Brown, I remember at Miami, I remember him being like a really good rebounder for a guard. He showed some ability to initiate the offense some. And in Brooklyn, he's playing a totally different role. I mean, I, sometimes you can make a case and say he's playing the five at six four. And I think that the, the value of the Swiss Army Knights swiss army knife defenders that can make plays for others if you give them the ball in the middle of the floor i think there's value in that and i i feel like herb jones could could carve out a role an impactful role as a a rotational guy just because of everything that he does on the defensive end i
0: think we agree on that one uh he's a he's a prospect that i'm that i'm pretty high on and and, you know, as, as we're talking about this, it makes me, you know, early in the season, I was like, I don't think this is going to be as deep a draft as last year. I, I thought it was stronger at the top, but I didn't see the depth. And, and you know, it's, it's ironic that, one, the draft ended up being stronger at the top last year than, than, I, than I thought it would, uh, you know, just based off of what LaMelo and Anthony Edwards, um, Tyrese Halliburton did. Um, but two, guys like Desmond Bain. Uh, coming in and having a real impact, um, you know, I, th- I think is the 30th pick in the draft. Um, there was a, there was a lot of depth this year, and, I, and I'm 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 liking more and more the dra- the depth of this draft because we've still got a few more guys to talk about. We're going to take a break uh, when we come back, and with Rafael Barlow from Draft Junkies.com and the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast, we're going to talk more draft sleepers, uh, guys that are kind of ranked in the second round that we think. Uh, are worthy of looks either earlier uh, than they're currently ranked, or maybe even as first-round picks. Here's listen to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I want to talk to you about my favorite protein energy bar. It's Built Bar, and the thing about that I love about Built Bar is it is the most delicious bar that you're going to be able to get. It. It tastes like a candy bar. It's significantly more interesting to eat and taste than any other bar that's out there it has a ton of of flavors there's caramel brownie there's cookies and cream there's cherry barcia lemon almond cheesecake is a favorite um, carrot cake apple almond crisp is one of my favorites and then those those are the new flavors and there's like 12 original flavors coconut almond raspberry german chocolate peanut butter banana bread mint brownie that's another one of my my personal favorites salted caramel Double chocolate, orange, toffee, almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. All of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They're not chalky or hard. They're actually soft and easy to chew. Uh, they My kids love them. I have to fight my kids to keep them away uh, from the Built Bars because they, they think they're candy. And trust me, they have never wanted to eat the energy or protein bars that I've ever had before. Uh, I use them because I'm a runner. And, and I love them because they give me uh, energy and they, they have low calories, they're low sugar, uh, they're high protein, they're high fi- fiber. If you're on the keto diet, um, which some of my family members are, uh, it's, it's great as well. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built Bar. And we are back talking 2021 NBA Draft Sleepers. I'm with Rafael Barlow from DraftJunkies.com and the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. You can check out uh, him on his website. He's making great videos, breaking down players. He's got mock drafts. He's got big boards as as well as uh, two days a week on the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. You can also check out our big board 5.0 picks now 1 through 80 uh, ranking the prospects over at mbabigboard.com. Uh, that's my website as well. And you can get everything there. And if you give us your email, uh, i give you uh, daily emails uh, to just letting you know when a new podcast comes up, when there's a new uh, article, what have you. Uh, it's a great newsletter. I uh, hope you check it out. Let's talk about Chris Smith out of UCLA. Guy that coming into the season, many people were projecting as a potential first round pick. Uh, tears his ACL out for the season, just falls off the map uh, as as sort of this forgotten player, but is a prototypical, you know, three and D type NBA wing that every NBA team is sort of coveting with the, with the size, the length, the shooting ability, um, the ability to defend multiple positions. What do you think one about his game, and two, how much should? his draft stock be discounted from a torn ACL when it seems like the track record for most ACL injuries is that, you know, if you're patient for a year,
1: he's going to be fine. Before I get into that, I mean, just imagine if you're Mick Cronin and you lose Chris Smith, and then you have Dacian Nix go to the G league. Like you have to wonder like, what if, you know, they used to probably be the NCAA championship. If they, if they, you know, had the guys that they, thought they had at this time last year but uh I, I like Chris he um he's not from Dallas but I know that he was living in the Dallas area before he went on to uh, Huntington prep and the, I saw the potential there just his size and his athleticism I I do think that he's kind of like forgotten at, at this point because of the whole you know he missed it pretty much the whole season with the ACL injury but you know it's not as a devastating of an injury as it was 20 years ago. So I think he should be able to come in and recover. It's, it's weird because if he goes undrafted, I would not be shocked at all. If he ends up going 33, it still probably wouldn't shock me just because there could have been a team that really liked him before the season that is, is kind of holding on to that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he has the tools that you that you look for in a modern three, four hybrid and uh, you know the outside shot is good, but I think that's the swing skill for him also.
0: i I, I really like him and one of the things about him is he's a senior, uh, but he's a young senior. Um, he's 21 uh, he's basically a 21 year old senior 21 and a half years old, got a seven one wingspan uh, can play you know offensively the two, three, and four and I think can, can probably defend that. To me, and I, I refer to this as a skill. I know not everybody refers to it as a skill. The only thing that ever really bothers me in watching Chris Smith is the the consistent motor. Uh, he's, he's that incon- is a skill. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is a, a skill, and and his ability to play hard is kind of wildly inconsistent from game to game, which is which is a concern for me, right? Because uh, it is a skill playing hard. Um, being aggressive, uh, being aggressive on the offensive end, being aggressive on the defensive end, it matters. And you'd see Smith at times kind of defer uh, away, despite the fact that he has all the tools to be a should be a dominant college basketball player. And it does make me sort of wonder, you know, given how stacked UCLA was with Dacian Nix and you know everybody else, would would he have turned into the alpha dog? Um, that his talent suggests he could be and and I'm not really sure Um, you know I I think Johnny Juzang is much more wired um, that that way um, you know to do that so that's that's that if if I was going to knock him it's not about the ACL I I think waiting a year we've seen teams do this now we've seen teams take teams in the in the first players in the first round and essentially redshirt them uh, you know for a year and get them healthy and and not blink about about doing so uh and you know in cases like michael porter jr where the talent obviously was higher you know that's a huge huge payoff for um the nuggets a year later but uh i think he should be in the 30s uh personally uh i don't disagree with you uh, just from talking from team to team that some teams really have him far off the radar right now uh but other teams are on him and so that's a really intriguing um prospect uh for me let's go Let's go think about uh, another interesting. Maybe he's a hybrid forward. I don't exactly know what he is. He played in the G League this year. Isaiah Todd uh, for G League Ignite uh, was the surprise. I mean, I think of the guys that we knew that we were looking at between Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga and Dacian Nix. Isaiah Todd was not considered in that in that tier uh, of prospects. But he had a really nice season, I think, for G League Ignite. I think he got better and better as the season went on. Um, I, I know um, that Brian Shaw, the head coach, really, really thinks highly of him. And uh, you, when you hear him talk about the various prospects that that he coached this year, um, just so impressed with Todd and and how he approached the game and and how he developed. What do you think about his NBA prospects?
1: I like him. I like him a lot. I mean, he's 6'10", and I think he has a role as a four spacer. What's interesting about him is, is I believe he was like the number one or number two player in his high school class early in his high school career. And this is just my assumption, but maybe he was bored with it in high school. Maybe he wasn't motivated or driven. And I mean, his stock just plummeted. Like You started to hear more red flags or negative stuff about his game as opposed to what he can do and going to the g league i feel like with his numbers he showed that he was he deserved to be ranked as highly as he was early in his high school career i mean if you would have asked me at the beginning of this season if isaiah todd was going to average nearly 12 and 5 and shoot 36 percent from three i would have said no And it seems like whatever and I don't know the intel, but whatever, I guess, red flags or concerns that there were about him going into college. And maybe it's sticking because I I think that he should be a lot higher on draft boards based off of his production. he's, He's still only 19 years old. There's not many guys that are. 6'10 that can shoot the ball like he does. And we have to factor in that he was playing against grown men. He was playing in a professional league. And
0: uh, the reports that you're getting out of G League Ignite are all uniformly very positive about how he approached the game, what sort of teammate he was, how coachable he was you know, all those things. And look, look, similar things were said about Evan Mobley and the question mark that came exactly. in against him about yeah. USC. And the question was, was he bored, uh, was part of it. And then you see him dominate the way that he dominated USC and say, okay, when he's not bored, he looks really good and probably not going to be bored in the NBA. So, uh, you know, again, I, I have Isaiah Todd in my mock draft going late in the first round. Uh, and, and again, it wouldn't surprise me to see, based off the feedback that I get in scouts that they actually feel like scouting the G League Ignite was a much more apples to apples comparison than scouting a college basketball or scouting international basketball that it was very easy for them to gauge how a player was playing in the G league and what would translate and what wouldn't at the next level. Um, I I can tell you there's tons of NBA scouts that are rooting that more and more of these five-star prospects go the G league route because I think they feel more confident in their scouting reports sort of coming out of it um, at the end than they do at college or international level. And he, and he played well um, by all accounts. And so um, really interesting prospect
1: for me. I can't see him. I was going to say, I can't see him. At least in my opinion, he shouldn't go past 36 with the Thunder. I mean, they are in a situation where they have a gazillion picks. And even though there's some redundancy with a lot of the guys on their roster, but they're in a position to swing for the fences. I mean, even. Yeah, I mean, they have what three, three picks, two or three picks and three picks in the second round. I, it doesn't make sense for them to pass them up with one of their three picks. Uh, I'd love to see him and Poku on the floor together. Uh,
0: <laughs> it, uh, any anytime I can see Poku on the floor with anybody, I'm I'm, I'm excited. Let's talk about Florida State's Raquan Gray, a very unique player. There's several like this now. Uh, I I don't know for a back of, lack of a better term, they're like a point power forwards. Uh, you know, guys that uh, have unique ball handling skills. Uh, and playmaking skills in the body of, you know, traditionally NBA power forwards. Uh, you know, Draymond Green in some ways is, you know, the, the sort of patron saint of, of you know, p- prospects like this. But a guy that, uh, you know, the more I watched at Florida State, um, the more intrigued I was uh, with, with his skill set, what he brought to the table, uh, the um, the combination of strength and skill Uh, motor that he plays with, uh, and his ability to defend multiple positions. Uh, He, again, seems like one of these Swiss Army knives that, and, you know, Florida State is one of those teams where it's really hard to, like, break out as a basketball player and and just, like, put up huge numbers. That's not how this team is going to be coached and not how they play. Same with why sometimes it's a little hard to totally gauge Scotty Barnes, uh, you know, on the same team. I think this is another guy who gets drafted in the 30s or 40s and turns out to be everybody kind of wondering, he's going to get plays, he'll start playing immediately because I think defensively he can do that and everybody's going to start asking, like, how did this guy slide in the draft? Uh, What do you think about uh, Raekwon
1: Gray? Yeah, I mean, he has a unique build for today's NBA. He's listed at like 260. And then, like you said, with the Florida State Guards, you know, they had times where him and Barnes were on the floor together and you're like, "Like, what team has two guys that are 6'8 and 6'9 that can kind of initiate the offense and make plays for each other? Gray could be this year's – oh, man, it's, his name is slipping my mind. The guy Zavier from Tillman? State. Yeah, Xavier Tillman. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> exactly
0: is. what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, a guy that goes to a team – that's in the playoffs and comes in and plays a role. I I, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. So, yeah, I, that's the role I see him playing.
0: Yeah. I was, I, every time I watched Xavier Tillman and I had questions about him, you know, ironically, he ended up 36 on my big board last year. I think he ended up going 34th. So, kind of right there. But my whole thinking with him is he's going to be the guy that comes in and and, and is productive right away. And, you know, whether his upside is, is particularly high, I don't know. But he got drafted by the right team. Memphis used him the right way. And, and I absolutely see that with Raquan Gray. Let's talk about one last guy. You, uh, you Part of your expertise is international prospects. And this is an international prospect from Spain who actually played college basketball and had a huge sophomore season uh, for Loyola, Santi Aldama. And uh, he had a game in the um, in a conference tournament where he went 13 for 15 from the field uh, against Army uh, and just was unconscious um, in that game. Uh, what do you like about uh, Santi Aldama? His father, by the way, uh, also a former pro basketball
1: player um, who played in Barcelona in the 92 Olympics for Spain. That's something I did not know. So he was another player that I I had a chance to watch live. And that was also in 2019. It was the under 18 tournament. So in the championship game of that tournament, it was Spain versus Turkey and Usman Garuba and Alperen Shingun were in that game. Aldama was the best player in that tournament. And Polkoshevsky was also in that tournament. He actually won the, he won the MVP of that tournament and I believe that he signed with Loyola early and that's why they were still able to get him because I think after that tournament, if he wasn't already signed, he's definitely a power five guy. So he's kind of slid under the radar for a lot of people because people didn't watch him play. And then I think he only played like 10 games or something like that his freshman year, but he's someone that I think could possibly hear his name called on draft day, and it's going to blow people's mind because he's not on a lot of the mock drafts or big boards that I've seen. But there has to be a team that has (laughs) heavily scouted him. He's 6'11", and he shoots the three. He moves well. I mean, he's a little light, but I think there's a place for him in in today's NBA. So he's, he's definitely, in my opinion, one of the most underrated players in this draft. And someone who, like I mentioned earlier, could hear his name called in the first round, and I, I totally wouldn't be surprised.
0: His uh, his stats uh, at, from a from an analytics point of view really impressive, right? Twenty one points a game, ten rebounds a game, uh, two and a half assists a game, uh, and then you know you keep going right through it. He, he averages a steal a game, which is great, you know, for a big man. Uh, you know, almost almost two blocks a game um biggest question that I have about you know he he seems like he shoots the ball well. There's always this analytics question in my back of my mind that it's, it's the minute that I look at their three point percentage, I look at their free throw percentage uh because this seems to be one of the the most direct correlations uh from college basketball to to the pros is your free throw percentage is going to be a better predictor of what sort of three-point shooter you are in the NBA than your three-point percentage. And that's a little bit scary. Uh, 51% as a freshman, got it up to 68% uh, as as a sophomore, uh, a little bit concerning. Also uh, kind of a high turnover player uh, for, for a guy his size. But the skill level is there. You know, I actually watched that that Army game. It was one of the first games that I had really tuned in uh, to like really sort of watch him for the whole game besides highlights. And I mean, he couldn't have picked a better game to just just be the <laughs> what a, he looked like a he looked like a top five pick of the draft in that game. I'll just I'll just say that because he was scoring from everywhere from, you know, uh, at the basket, um three step backs, Steph Curry threes from, you know, 10 feet beyond the arc. I mean, he he was unconscious in that game and he he didn't play that that way every night. Uh, but he absolutely, you know, this is probably one of these cases, Rafael, that if he was doing this in Spain somewhere right now, he's a first round prospect.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And but because he did it at Loyola, Maryland, uh, yeah. he's a borderline, you know, second round prospect.
1: Yeah. And what's impressive about his game when I saw him live was that he could score off action plays. He has the mobility to where you can run off a off of pin down. I mean, I think. He'll mostly be used as like a pick-and-pop guy, but you could run him off some screens to get open and he can shoot. The one question I did have was his overall toughness, you know, if if someone was to get really physical with him. But I I like him a lot. Now, the concern about the free throw shooting is going to be a hot topic, I think, in this draft class period because, I mean, Davion Mitchell is the biggest (laughs) wild card when you're – if you're using that the free throw shooting as the indicator, then <laughs> he's he's gonna be tough to gauge because he had one great year shooting the ball, but he still didn't get to the free throw line a lot, and you know wasn't a great free throw shooter. And it was so. an under
0: seventy percent free throw shooter uh, yeah, as a guard, apparently. which yeah, as a guard, which is uh, scary. Uh, like it doesn't it doesn't always translate, but it's it's one of the surer bets. And so it'll be really interesting with a lot of these guys. Well, look, Raphael, I think this was fun. I think if nothing else, like, you know, you and I just kind of picked out 10 guys, uh, maybe like 12 guys that are second round picks that we like. That's a really deep draft. Uh, yeah. if, if there's, if there's you know, 10 to 12 guys that we like in the second round, that's a really deep draft. and means that there could be uh, some real upside with some of these guys and some real sleepers. Really appreciate all your work. Uh, looking forward to continue to work with you. Uh, on our podcast as we get closer to the nba draft on locked on make sure you check out his site at draftjunkies.com and check out his podcast locked on the nba draft podcast i'm chad ford Uh, you're listening to chad ford's nba big board on the locked on podcast network aloha